You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, Rev Church, last week I shared with you a very traumatic story that happened to me when I was a kid and uh, caused me to have trust issues. If you were here, you remember the seriousness of that story. And I'm getting ready to share with you another story that happened to me when I was young that I can vividly remember that once again just caused me to really question uh, and, and not question, but wake up and realize how depraved human beings really are. I was about nine years old and uh, it was Halloween and this seems fitting because this is the month of October now and uh, I was going trick-or-treating and like most kids I couldn't wait Uh, to get out in my neighborhood and go trick-or-treating and get some candy and come back and enjoy that candy. And I went to the first house, and at the very first house, I was let down, probably greater than I'd ever been in my life. It still haunts me to this day, no pun intended. Because I open up my trick-or-treat bag, I've got my costume on, and my neighbor gives me some of these. We got it for the screen behind. Does anybody know what these are? Good, because I don't. I don't know what they're supposed to be. Like, I've tried them before, and I'm like, what is this? You know what I mean? Is this dried up wall plaster? Like, what's the deal here? Now, listen, I know beggars can't be choosers. Maybe I was a spoiled brat, okay? And, like, I just need to be thankful that I got anything at all. But I got to be honest with you when I tell you, when I got this, I was very disappointed. I go to the next house, and this gets worse, y'all. This gets worse. Thinking about going to therapy for this, you know what I'm saying? And at the next house, I open up my bag thinking, well, that's just a fluke. Surely there's going to be people here that know the Lord and are going to give me good stuff, right? And, And the person at the next house gives me a box of these. The devil... Now, look, if you like raisins, that's fine. But, 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 like, don't give them to kids on Halloween, y'all. Like, you know what I mean? Like, raisins on Halloween? Well, they're nature's candy. No, they're not. Like, come on, man. Again, spoiled brat, maybe. You know what I mean? But these have no place for Halloween. You know what I'm saying? Like, no place. Get rid of them. Get thee behind me, Satan. Amen, y'all? I, I was looking for some real candy good stuff like let me show you some examples I, I wanted to get some very very good things like uh like you know when you're a kid and you get one of these like whole candy bars man you've hit the jackpot when you're trick-or-treating y'all know what i'm saying milky way who likes milky ways you know what i mean there you go i'll help you in your power lifting six killer how about three musketeers anybody like three musketeers yeah there we go okay i'm giving them to everybody on the front row not you back row baptists y'all know what i'm saying and so uh, kit kat you know Give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that fancy feast. You know what I'm saying? Only office fans get that. Um, how about Reese's? Okay, anybody? Reese? That's mine. Okay, and uh, <laughs> I ain't going nowhere. Hershey's, full Hershey bar. Give somebody a full Hershey bar. Uh, Snickers, y'all know what I'm saying? How I many of y'all like Snickers? Here you go. Front row people. Twix, who, who votes Twix? Who do, I like the peanut butter Twix better than the caramel Twix. We'll give you some more. So don't crumple those while I'm up here preaching, okay, y'all? You can eat them, but don't crumple them up. 
We're starting, or we're in the second week, not starting, of a series called Christian or Not. And if you missed the first week, what we're doing is we're taking a look at different belief systems and religions that the world lumps in with Christianity. But upon further inspection of some of these belief systems and doctrines and and religions, we find, in fact, that they are they're raisins. Y'all know what I mean? Like, they're not the good stuff. They're not, they're not legit. They're not real candy. They are, in fact, something that's a cheap imitation of real candy, and they're not Christianity at all. I would recommend to you guys, I'm going to say this every single week, I'd recommend to you guys to pick up the book by Walter Martin called The Kingdom of the Cults. It's a great read. I got a lot of my content uh, from his book and some of the facts and different things like that. He's, he's since passed away, uh, but they update this book every few years, and it's a great resource. Why are we doing this series? Because, to be honest with you, I prayed about doing this in a small group setting, like on a Tuesday night, but the more I prayed about it, the more I thought, man, the whole church needs to hear this. Like, it's time for, for the majority of our church to, to move from milk Nothing wrong with milk. I'm not hating on milk at all, okay? But it's time for some of us to move to meat. Y'all know what I'm saying? Steak is so much better and so much more filling. And it's time for some of us to really grab a hold of the truths of Scripture and get fired up about following Jesus and not just come to church but live it out. The reasons we're doing this series, number one, is we're going to go over the foundational Christian doctrines every single week. If you come to this series every single week, if you come for this week and the next two weeks, it's a four-week series, go back and watch the first ones, I really think you're going to walk away with a great foundation of the core beliefs of the church and Christianity since the inception of the church. We call these beliefs orthodoxy. Maybe you've heard that word before, but orthodoxy refers to, again, those foundational beliefs since the inception of the church, and if someone falls outside of orthodoxy, they're considered to be outside of Christianity. Number two, we want to identify the marks of cults, especially those that are referred to as Christian cults. We want to make sure that you know some of the red flags, some of the things that if you read something, if you hear a preacher say something, it'll give you pause and it'll help give you discernment on those things that are truth and those things that are lies. Thirdly, that's what we're trying to do. We want to equip you with the knowledge of truth and quite honestly, expose the lies of the enemy of those things that say they're Christian, but they actually fall outside of orthodoxy and in fact are not Christian. I heard a quote this week that said, if the church is not equipped, then they inevitably become prey. Now, what we're going to talk about today is Jehovah Witnesses. And boy, that quote is so true with Jehovah Witnesses because the overwhelming majority of people that convert to being a Jehovah Witness are really lukewarm, shallow Christians that don't know the Scriptures. Conversely, the people that walk away from being a Jehovah Witness are typically people that actually read the Bible and actually study the Greek and Hebrew of the Bible and find out a lot of what they've believed in that religion is completely wrong and they turn to Jesus. We're going to go to 2 John today. 2 John is a book of the Bible that only has one chapter. It's a very short book. 
but it packs a powerful punch. I told my wife yesterday, you know, she's a lot shorter than I am, and I was thinking about her. I was like, boy, she's short, but she packs a wallop. Let me tell y'all, y'all know what I'm saying? Like, she, she, she packs a punch, and that's the same with the book of 2 John. Let's read this, and then let me just explain the, the concept of 2 John to you very quickly. And then let's go through those six points of orthodoxy and take a look at what Christians believe versus what uh, the Jehovah Witnesses believe, okay? Y'all with me? Say, I am. Second John, let's start in verse 3. We'll have it for the screen. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. We'll be, he will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. Now, John, the writer of this letter, uh, at the beginning of this, is writing to a lady. Uh, it's been theorized before that this is symbolic, and it's writing to the head of a church that has children or people underneath them that they are responsible for. He may be writing to a literal lady that has children uh, that they are responsible for, but the concept is you need to know what I'm getting ready to say because you are responsible for someone and yourselves, if that makes sense. Verse 5, it says, And now, dear lady, I'm not writing to you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands as you have heard from the beginning. His command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but you may gain that that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and of, and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. The synopsis of Second John can be summarized in this phrase. What John is teaching this lady or this church is there are boundaries to love. There are boundaries to love. Yes, we are to love everyone. Yes, we are to love lost people. Yes, we are to love each other inside the church. But when it comes to love, there are boundaries to it. There's a story of a man who was walking down the road one day and he comes up on a snake that was almost dead and was injured. And he picks the snake up that's almost dead, takes it home, nurses it back to health. And one day when the snake was fully recovered, he takes it out of its enclosure and the snake, being a venomous snake, bites him. As he's laying on the floor dying from the snake bite, the snake is said to have looked at him and said, you knew that I was a snake when you brought me into your house. What did you expect would happen? That's the concept of Second John. When you know it's a snake, when you know it's a deceiver, when you know it's a false teacher or false teaching, when you know it's what is referred to here as an antichrist, you need to be aware, number one, of what those things are. But number two, you need to make sure that you're very careful one theologian puts it this way. This is what he says about 2 John. He says, 2 John means that an open-door policy of hospitality and love towards friends and neighbors doesn't mean you leave the front door unlocked at night for someone to come in and kill you. 
Does that make sense to everybody say amen? So there's boundaries on love. And we need to be able to identify these deceivers as it puts in this scripture. Well, today we're going to talk about Jehovah Witnesses. And you can probably already tell where I stand uh, with this particular uh, set of beliefs. Uh, and I'll say this just by way of preface. Uh, some Jehovah Witness people that I know are some of the most upright. Uh, some of the most moral people that I've known. Uh, they're good people. And so today is not personal. If you grew up Jehovah Witness and you know a whole bunch of people that are Jehovah Witness, today is not personal. We're going down two lanes on this thing. Number one, we're looking historically uh, to talk about this. And more importantly, number two, we're looking theologically about those foundational orthodox beliefs. Jehovah Witnesses were founded by a man named Charles Russell. Uh, who, long story short, wrote uh, several volumes of books that his followers would uh, really read and base their life off of instead of Scripture. And when he wrote the seventh volume of a series of books, uh, his movement split. The smaller group of people followed Charles Russell, and they referred to themselves as the Dawn Bible Students Association, or they're referred to as Russellites. There's not too many of them uh, that are hanging around today. The larger group were led by a man named J.F. Rutherford, and they are known today as the Jehovah Witnesses, or they also go by another name, which is very important for you to know because I'll refer to this several times today, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Now, they've been on a steep decline over the last couple of decades because door-to-door and house-to-house evangelism is not super effective in our culture today, but they still boast that they have over 120,000 congregations in 240 different countries. Uh, They have one celebration of a holiday every single year, and it's essentially a Good Friday service where they have a form of communion, and the holiday is called the Memorial Day of Christ's death service and at the last one they had they had about 20 million people come so yes they're on the decline but 20 million people uh, is something that they can boast about today the jehovah witnesses are not run by one particular prophet uh, one particular person but they're managed by a governing body of eight individuals that are based out of new york Um, And I really just had a joke pop in my head, but I'm not going to say anything bad about New York, okay, y'all? So so, uh, this governing body, uh, to put it bluntly, rules with an iron fist. In fact, listen to what they say about this uh, governing body. Uh, In their publication, The Watchtower, which is, uh, in a minute, you're going to find essentially serves as uh, God's word to their people. It says this. Let me give you a couple quotes. The first one, they say, avoid independent thinking. You're going to see this theme with Jehovah's Witnesses. Avoid independent thinking and questioning the counsel that is provided by God's visible organization. Uh, there, this, or, this governing body is referred to as God's visible organization, or you see it in their literature referred to as God's faithful slave. Fight against independent thinking. So don't think for yourself. They're going to think for you. The Watchtower, once again, this is their words, says this, To receive everlasting life in the earthly paradise, we must identify that organization and serve God as part of it. So right out the gate, you need to understand a word called disfellowshipped. 
Because if you question the, the, the organization, the founding principles, the writings of Russell or, or, or any of this, uh, Rutherford, in, in, uh, Rutherford, not Russell, then you can be disfellowshipped, which I don't have time to really get into what this means, but long story short, it means you're kicked out and you're never even spoken to by the people that are part of the church ever again. If we look at the different orthodoxy beliefs that really make up the foundational beliefs of Christianity, let's look, number one, at Revelation. Now, I told you guys last week when I was a young Christian and when I wasn't a Christian, if I heard the word Revelation, I immediately thought of the book of Revelation. I thought of like end times. What does that mean? Uh, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the definition of Revelation that means the divine or supernatural disclosure to humans of something relating to human existence or the world. For Christians, Revelation comes in the form of the Bible. And just as a reminder, we have what's known as a closed canon of Scripture. What closed canon means is when we decided on the 66 books of the Bible, and again, don't have time to get into how we decided. I would encourage you to go, uh, go study how we decided what 66 books of the Bible. I think it will increase your faith if you know how we came up with it. But when we came up and decided on those 66 books of the Bible, closed canon means we said we're not going to add any more. It's closed. We're not going to take away. It's closed. It's not up for debate. And we are never going to reinterpret the Scripture. For Christians, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to revelation, you know, God's speaking to us uh, in some form of written word, uh, what we seek to do is get the Bible as close, if not exactly what the original language says. That's what we're looking for. We're, we're looking to translate it. And, and again, I would encourage you, go look at how many manuscripts we have and how the Bible is the most scrutinized book that there has ever been, and it is so reliable. But we want it to be exactly what it was when it was written in the Hebrew or written in the Greek. We do have translations of the Bible, but that's not reinterpretation. Translations mean we put it in a more modern vernacular, like we want to put it in English or we or translate the Bible into Spanish but we don't change the meaning of it. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Jehovah Witnesses have a Bible that they've created on their own and really revised the original text to make it say what they want, and they believe that this is the only version of the Bible that holds water. Uh, and it is their own version, their own translation or account of the Bible called the New World Translation. Everybody say New World Translation. One, two, three. New World Translation. If you ever get a Christmas gift of a New World Translation of the Bible, think of it as a fire log, okay, y'all? Because it is uh, bad. Now, remember our quote that we said last week. We need to remember that this week. Wearsby once said, the great preacher, that false teachers use our vocabulary, but they don't use our dictionary. So you hear a lot of the same words that Christians use, but when they use those words, they don't mean what we mean when we say them. So consider that as we talk about this. The New World Translation of the Bible, though, that they follow is unique in one thing. It is the first intentional, systematic effort at producing a complete version of the Bible that is edited and revised for the specific purpose of agreeing with a specific group's doctrine. As we talked about Mormons last week, what most different cults and false belief systems do is they, they don't necessarily change Scripture, they add extra stuff to it. They'll add books to it. Mormons added three holy books 
uh, along with the Bible? Well, with Jehovah Witnesses, what they did was they took a look at their core doctrines and saw that they contradicted the Scripture. And rather than change their beliefs, what they did instead was they completely altered the Scripture. Uh, This is historically accurate. It's not even up for debate uh, that they put together what's known as a New World Translation Committee. Uh, Fun fact, uh, I believe it was five people that were on it. Four of them didn't even know Greek or Hebrew. Uh, But they put together a New World Translation Committee uh, that went through the Bible and changed any scripture that didn't agree with Jehovah Witness theology. Um, This is clearly demonstrated by the fact that As new editions are published, almost every single time a new edition comes out, there are revisions and changes that are made based off the beliefs at the time. One of the largest strengths of the Jehovah Witness religion is the publishing arm of their denomination. Uh, at some point, you probably know this, or maybe you've seen this, they, make, they print off lots of pamphlets, they print off lots of Bibles, they print off uh, a whole lot of different uh, books and different things like that. They've actually boasted that they've printed some 220 million New World Translations of the Bible and 40 billion pieces of literature in 900 different languages. Now, the... Uh, uh, Jehovah Witnesses publishing arm, uh, this is interesting because I think it ties into one of the attributes of a cult. Um, They make roughly about $1 billion a year just on the publishing arm of their religion. Actually, in 2001, uh, the publishers, the Watchtower, were named to the top 40 businesses in the city of New York. So they make a lot of money, again, an attribute of a cult, a mark of a cult, uh, as we saw in 2 Peter chapter 2, is greed, okay? Uh, They want to make money, and they want to make lots of it. Now, it's important to note this, and let me tell you this. Since Rutherford, the guy who split off of Russell's death, are y'all following me? Say amen. So the guy who started it, Russell, okay, the Russellites, Rutherford splits off, takes the Jehovah Witness and the Watchtower, right? Since Rutherford's death, this is important because you're going to hear me quote their publication, but not a specific author. Since then, they don't name whoever wrote a book, whoever wrote an article, or any, they give no credit to anyone uh, that has written anything uh, in the Watchtower organization. Now, that's problematic because when we don't know who wrote it, we don't know about the qualifications of the person. We don't know and and aren't able to scrutinize whether or not they are an expert in the area. For instance, if uh, the Jehovah Witnesses write a book on how the Greek New Testament actually says this, we have no idea whether or not the person that wrote that is even qualified or even knows Greek or not. And so this represents a problem, but as we go along, you're going to hear me quote the Watchtower, you're going to hear me uh, quote uh, JehovahWitnesses.org and different things like that. It's not going to be a specific person. The Watchtower publishing arm of Jehovah Witnesses as well, we're getting through this, okay? Y'all still with me? Everybody say amen. Look at your neighbor and say, this is good stuff. Lie to them if you have to. Just say it's good stuff, okay? And if they're asleep, smack them, okay? But the Watchtower printed word functions as a prophetic arm of the Jehovah Witnesses or a special revelation arm of the Jehovah Witnesses. In other words, yes, they have the New World Translation of the Bible, but in their magazine and in their articles, um, they will take the things that are written in that as gospel, if that makes sense. The Watchtower was quoted as saying this, though. Listen to the Watchtower. It says, 
This is in their words. So Jehovah's visible organization under Christ is a channel for bringing the divine interpretation of his word to his devoted people. We acknowledge as the visible organization of Jehovah on earth, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, and recognize the society as the channel or instrument through which Jehovah and Christ Jesus give instruction and meet in due season to the household of faith. If we are to walk in the light of truth, we must recognize not only Jehovah God as our Father, but His organization as our mother. Secondly, what is their view of God? Well, let's go over Christian's view of God again, and I've added a little something here uh, that I think will help you understand how we view God. Christians believe that God is the uncreated creator, the uncaused caused. No one created Him. He always was. He always will be. He is eternal. Additionally, this is important for you to know that we believe that the Bible gives many different titles or names, I guess you could say, to God. And through these names, God ministers to us and it lets us know who he is and really it it informs a lot of our theology. Let me give you some of these names. Yahweh is what we call God. Uh, That means Lord. Uh, And Jehovah means Lord as well. Elohim means God, Judge, and Creator. Adonai means Lord and Master. Jehovah Jireh. When I was a kid, I remember a song when I go visit my dad. Uh, Jehovah Jireh. Anybody heard that song? Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That's what it means. Jehovah Jireh is my provider. And, and you're going to get a sense as I read through some of these names why it's important for you to know these names. Because some of y'all showed up here this weekend and you don't know how you're going to provide. And God's going to minister to you and tell you, hey, don't worry, I'm the provider. Some of y'all showed up this weekend, and you need to know that Jehovah Shalom is what God is referred to and one of the names given to him, and it means the Lord is peace. You're looking for peace, and you need to know that God is the Lord of peace, that God is El Roa, the God who sees, uh, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, Abba, Father. Some of y'all need to know you have a father. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. In other words, what that symbolically means is he is our protector. We are under his banner. He's the most high. He's the everlasting God. He's the mighty God. He's the Lord our righteousness, the Lord our shepherd. He is the Alpha and Omega. Jehovah Witnesses believe God should only be referred to by one name, and that is Jehovah. And they are very strict and very hardcore on this. Uh, let me tell you this about what they believe about God as a whole, because I think this is important and it'll kind of tell us some of the things that are coming up. What do they believe about the Trinity? Well, in a book they published called What Does God Require of Us? This is what they said about the Trinity. Is Jehovah a Trinity? Three persons in one God? No. Jehovah the Father is the, one, is the only true God. Jesus is his firstborn son, and he is subject to God. The Father is greater than the Son. The Holy Spirit is not a person, it is God's active force. Jehovah Witnesses reject the Trinity outright. You'll see this as we go through the next orthodoxy beliefs. Uh, And they would say things like, well, the word Trinity isn't even in the Bible, so Trinity is not even biblical. Uh, You'll hear arguments like these that make no sense because like, the word Bible's not even in the Bible. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, the, the word New World Translation isn't even in the Bible, so how does that make sense? And I'll make a bigger point with these goofy arguments that they typically make uh, here in just a second. What is their view of Jesus? Everybody still with me? Say, I am. What's their view of Jesus? Now, listen to me during this point, okay? Because if you get Jesus wrong, everything else falls apart theologically, okay, y'all? 
Jesus is, as it says in the New Testament, the cornerstone. I had some conversations with brothers that I really love this week, and they're like, man, if somebody gets Jesus right, they can be wrong on everything else, and I'd consider them my brother. So you get Jesus wrong, it's, it's clearly accepted that you, you should let them anathema. You, you should, they're double cursed, as it says uh, in Galatians chapter 1. So uh, listen to what they think about Jesus. You know, this past week I had an Impossible Burger. Does anybody know what an Impossible Burger is? It's one of those burgers that's fake meat. And it's like made out of plants and stuff. Yeah, some of y'all's faces, you're like, ooh, that's exactly what it was. Listen, if you're a vegan in here, we love you. Watching online, we love you. But man, when I eat a burger, like I need real meat. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, I'm talking like a bloody burger, medium well. Y'all know what I mean? Like, a cow's been murdered. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, that kind of burger. That's what I need. And uh, because <laughs> on a burger, if you mess the meat up, the whole thing stinks. Does that make sense to everybody? Jesus is the burger. He's the meat. You mess Jesus up, everything else completely sucks. Okay, y'all? So, uh, it's just terrible. Terrible. I hope I didn't offend you by saying the word sucks. I probably shouldn't have said sucks a second time. Well, there's a third time. Sorry. <laughs> See, the different, I'm trying to teach my staff this. Different generations' words mean different things. Like, sucks today doesn't mean anything. But to like my generation and before, sucks has a very negative connotation with it. So, so anyway, just know. Like when you hear our young communicators say it, they don't mean what you think it means if you're my age or older. Okay, y'all. So, Make sense to everybody say amen? You didn't know you were going to get a lesson on that word, right? Christian's view of Jesus is this. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the second part of the Trinity. He existed eternally as part of the, tri- as part of the Trinity as God. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Prince of peace. Uh, he is the creator of all things. Now, what I want to do when I take a look at Jehovah Witnesses, I don't want to give you any scripture right now. What we're going to do here in just a second is we're going to compare Christian orthodoxy beliefs about Jesus and what our Bible, the actual translation, says, and we're going to compare the New World Translation and how they change things just a little bit to completely change their beliefs about Jesus. Jehovah Witnesses strongly reject the Trinity. They believe Jesus is the created archangel Michael, Uh, And he was created before the world began, so he is the archangel Michael. Uh, Jesus is a mere human and not God. Jesus' resurrection was a spiritual resurrection, not a physical one after Calvary. Uh, I would submit to you, just again, just to give you some some scriptures to increase your faith. Luke chapter 24 tells us that Jesus ate food. Uh, Matthew chapter 28 says that people touched him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says there were over 500 witnesses that saw Jesus' physical body when he resurrected from the dead. Additionally, they believe that Jesus has already come back sometime in the early 1900s. They speculate on when it was, around 1914, uh, and that he didn't come back in the flesh again. It was a spirit that came back as Jesus. Now, let me read a quote to you, because what we're going to do is we're going to look at what the Bible says about Jesus versus what the New World Translation says about Jesus. Uh, Henry Ward Beecher once said this, "'Whatever is almost true is quite false.'" And among the most dangerous of errors, because being so near truth, it is more likely to lead people astray. We believe Jesus is eternal. He's always existed. Jehovah Witnesses do not. John chapter 8, verse 58, in the Bible says, Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
Now, when Jesus says, I am, when he was speaking to his audience, they knew that he was making a direct reference to the burning bush in the book of Exodus. Uh, When Moses asked God, who do I tell the people you are? Just say, I am. In other words, I am. I've always been. I am eternal. I am. The New World Translation changes this and says, Jesus said to them, most truly I say to you, before Abraham came into existence, I have been. It's not I am. It's not a direct reference to who God said he was in the Old Testament, that Jesus was there with him eternally. It's I have been. We believe Jesus is equal to God. In the Bible, in John chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, and listen to this phrase, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. The New World Translation changes where it says, but the one and only Son who is himself God, and it says this, no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten God. They changed that whole phrase. The only begotten God who is at the Father's side is the one who has explained him. So they don't believe Jesus is equal to God. We believe Jesus is the creator of all things. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, it says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Other translations say, and in Him all things were created. New World Translation says, also, He is before all other things, and by means of Him, by means of Him, all other things were made to exist. So Jesus is a secondary creator. Again, he's not equal to God. He's not eternal. After he was created, God created the world through Jesus as a secondary creator, not a part of the Trinity and the main creator. This is helping anybody in here by saying amen. Does this make sense? I hope everybody doesn't need a mind diaper, man, really, because I know it's a lot. So uh, we believe Jesus is God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. New World Translation, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was one, one word added, changes everything. The Word was a God. You see, remember last week, Mormonism? You know, for as by grace you've been saved through faith. And they said, for as by grace, for we know that we are saved by grace, sounded almost exactly the same, comma, plus all we could do. It's, it's very clear here. Um, the mark of a cult is uh, a minimization of the word, a reinterpretation of the Bible, or adding to Scripture, right? So he's not God. He's a God. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Uh, this is one of the most egregious, I believe. We believe that Jesus himself paid for our sins. It says this, Paul says this in a speech in Acts chapter 20. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, he being Jesus, bought with his own blood. Jesus paid for our sin with his own blood. New World Translation says, pay attention to yourselves and all the flock among the, which the Holy Spirit has appointed you overseers to shepherd the congregation of God, which he purchased with the blood of his son. So Jehovah God purchased with this created archangel Michael our salvation, not Jesus himself. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. The key that you understand is this. Small changes can change everything and make the whole thing stink. About four years ago, uh, Pastor Brandon, who's our student pastor, has been here, had been here for less than a year. 
and we were having staff meeting one day, and Pastor Brandon starts going, man, something stinks in here. What's that smell? And so we were trying to figure out, like we tore the whole room we were in apart, trying to figure out, is there a dead mouse somewhere? Like, what's going on? Why does it smell? None of us smelled it, but Pastor Brandon smelled it, and we were all going, well, we don't know. Maybe it's your upper lip. I don't know. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, and by the way, this is how I remember it, but Pastor Brandon's not here today because he had a baby this week, so he's not here to refute it. So this is how I remember it. It was four years ago, though, y'all, okay? So, so I just remember uh, he was like, man, something smells. Later in the day, I'm sitting there talking to him, and he's like, man, something still smells. We're in a totally different room. Well, what had happened was Pastor Brandon had taken his kids to a creek, and he fell in the creek. And when he fell in the creek, his shoes got wet, and they didn't dry properly. And so they mildewed, and they stunk really bad. So everywhere Pastor Brandon went for two or three days, he was thinking, man, somebody needs to take a shower. Like, what's going on here? Like, y'all are smelling. Listen, y'all. You better make sure you know the source of something that's stinking before you accuse other people of stinking. Everything falls apart with Jehovah's Witnesses because of their belief about Jesus. This is what stinks. Like you don't need to go looking for a mouse or, or something else. It's not somebody that didn't take a shower. It's their belief about Jesus. Mark of a cult, they get Jesus wrong. They get Jesus wrong. Every one of them get Jesus wrong. Number four, what's their view of the Holy Spirit? Christians believe God is the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's eternal. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. I said all three of those words correctly without messing up. Amen, y'all? Yeah, that's right. He shares all the attributes of deity. He is one with the Father and the Son in unity. And the Holy Spirit, here's the important thing we believe that differentiates us from really every other cult. The Holy Spirit is a person. And you need to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a Holy Ghost. That's a horrible translation for the Holy Spirit. Don't ever call Him the Holy Ghost. In the Greek, it's pneuma, uh, which is breath, and so we call Him Spirit. But Holy Ghost makes us think like He's a ghost that opens doors for us and stuff like that. No, the Holy Spirit is a person, and you need to understand this because when you grasp that, it, it, it really helps you understand that you can have a personal relationship with Him. He's not some spooky ghost or force that's in your life, if that makes sense. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that the Holy Spirit grieves. Who grieves? A person grieves. Acts chapter 5 tells us that Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. Well, you lie to a person, not a ghost or a force. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that as he wills, he distributes the spiritual gifts. So he makes decisions. A person makes decisions. The Jehovah Witnesses believe that the Holy Spirit is not God, but an impersonal force. God's active force is what he's referred to as. Uh, JW.org, this is their words on their website, you can go find them, says the Holy Spirit is God's power in action, his active force. God sends out his spirit by projecting his energy to any place to accomplish his will. So this is important. This is the third part of the Trinity. This is God to us. The Holy Spirit is. And here they are saying it's energy and it's a force. Uh, JW.org clearly says the Holy Spirit is not a person. Number five, their view of salvation. And we're going to tie their view of salvation to the last point, which is their view of the afterlife. 
Christians believe, let me just read Ephesians chapter 2 again because this is the simplest way for me to encapsulate what Christians believe about salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Jehovah Witnesses don't believe in grace. They believe in a works-based salvation. Now, I'm going to go through the list of things in studying probably two or 300 pages on Jehovah Witnesses. I didn't watch quite as many lectures as I did on Mormons, but probably about 10 hours of lectures and sermons on Jehovah Witnesses. And this is why y'all need to pray for me, because trying to condense all that down and put the cookies on the bottom shelf for all of us, that's really the struggle here. But they believe, this is what I could find, that you have to do works-wise in order to be saved and have salvation. They believe salvation is earned through door-to-door preaching. Uh, They refer to this as field work. They actually have something called the Pioneer Plod, which is uh, when they're walking and doing their field work and door-to-door evangelism. Uh, Book studies. You need to attend all five Kingdom Hall meetings every week. They refer to their church building as a Kingdom Hall. They have five services a week. You've got to go to every single one of them to be saved. Um, You know what the average attendance of people at Rev Church is? About 1.7 to 2.1 times a month. So, man, could you imagine having to go five times a week to church, y'all? Like the committed people in here, y'all come about twice a month. And so to be saved in Jehovah Witnesses, you got to go, what is that, 20 times a month to 25 times a month? You know what I'm saying? Uh, They reject, in order to be saved, you have to reject the celebration of any religious, national, or cultural holidays, and you cannot take part in any pledges. You've probably known Jehovah Witnesses that don't celebrate their birthday. If you were in school with them, when the class has a Christmas party, they got to leave and go to another room. It's because it's part of their salvation. Also, along with this in their doctrine, just to let you know this, and I'm going to tie this together at the end, uh, they also don't encourage people and tell people not to be educated. In just a minute, I'll tell you the cycle of insanity that this creates, okay? But, but don't get education. It's along the same lines. Like, don't get a higher education. Again, don't think for yourself. No independent thinking. Uh, that kind of falls along the same lines as don't celebrate, you know, Christmas and different things like that. Also, to be saved, you have to have a submission to God's visible organization, and they believe in baptismal regeneration. The Watchtower itself said this, to receive everlasting life in the earthly paradise, we must identify that organization, again, those eight guys in New York, and serve God as part of it. There's a saying in Jehovah Witnesses, with Jehovah Witnesses, immortality is a reward for faithfulness. Uh, One interesting thing about Jehovah Witnesses, remember last week we talked about levels of heaven and levels of righteousness and holiness. Um, In order to be what they call a publisher, you have to serve field work, in other words, door-to-door evangelism, for a minimum of 1,200 hours a year. You have to. In order to be saved and be called what they refer to as a publisher, you have to serve 1,200 hours a year. If you want to become a pioneer, which is the next rung up the ladder, which means you're more significant than a publisher, you have to do a significant more amount of field work in order to do that. Um, really what Jehovah Witnesses have, is everybody good? Say amen. I'm going to go over today, okay? But, but let, me, let me give you some more theological tidbits. What Jehovah Witnesses do and what every cult does is they confuse righteousness versus holiness, Okay? Now, maybe you've heard righteousness before and holiness, and you think they're interchangeable, and it's kind of confusing. Well, here's the difference. Righteousness is what you receive when you get saved. 
In other words, it's the reason we're going to heaven. Because when we stand in front of God one day, and we tell Him we've put our trust in Jesus, what He will see is the blood of Jesus, or we have received the righteousness of Christ over us. You never lose that. And that righteousness is never based off of anything that you do. It's based off of faith in Christ and God's grace on us. Holiness are the decisions or the works that we do in order to glorify God. And what we do is we base our decisions off of what Scripture says. So there's always this connection to righteousness and holiness. And in order to have righteousness over you so you get to heaven, you have to have a whole lot of holiness or good works in order to get to heaven. Uh, The thing about our righteousness and connecting that to holiness is the Bible calls it out very clearly. Uh, It tells us that our righteousness are filthy rags. Uh, In the book of Philippians chapter 3, it tells us our righteousness is dung. My my son, with his money he made off making good grades, bought this uh, yesterday. Okay, y'all? And so, so... When you think about our righteousness, what the Bible does is he says, when you think your righteousness is getting you into heaven, what you need to remember is your righteousness is... Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. And so holiness is what we do to glorify God, but righteousness, we take on the righteousness of Christ, and it's what saves us. Mark of a cult, it's never grace-based, it's always work-based. What about their view of the afterlife? I've got to hurry. I'm, uh, I'm right on time right now. So Christians believe in heaven and hell. We told you this last week. Heaven also referred to as paradise, eternal life. John 3.16 encapsulates this. Uh, we also believe in hell, uh, which is referred to as Hades, Gehenna, gnashing of teeth, eternal death, 2 Thessalonians 1.9. And I would just remind you that Christians believe that today is the day of salvation. This is what sets us apart from every other major religion in the world. We believe that anyone in this room right now, if you don't know Christ or you're watching online and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, that through faith you can put your trust in Him, submit your life to Him, give everything to Him, and you can be saved in that moment. Today is the day of salvation. We're not waiting to see if you get baptized. We're not waiting to see how many good works you do. We're not waiting to find out at the judgment if you're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. That right now you can be sealed by placing your faith in Christ and you can be saved through grace. Jehovah Witnesses believe... Amen, Rev Church. Jehovah Witnesses believe there's two groups of redeemed souls. The first group is what they refer to as the 144,000 anointed believers that will go to heaven, reign with Christ in heaven. Maybe you'll make it. Maybe you won't make it. Uh, This group of the 144,000, by the way, are the only ones that can participate in the Good Friday Memorial Day celebration. They also believe in a second group that are what they refer to as sheep that will exist in paradise. Paradise is a glorified earth, okay? Remember, the mark of a cult is levels of heaven. Some people go to better heavens. Some people go to worse heavens. In this case, the 144,000, which, by the way, they get out of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is referring to a group of 144,000 witnesses uh, that will be present at the end times. Some think it's symbolic. Some think it's literal. uh, But nowhere does the Bible also tell us that we're going to reign in heaven with Jesus. It tells us that we are going to reign on the earth with Jesus, not in heaven, okay? Uh, They do believe in hell, but what they believe about hell is annihilation. In other words, you go to hell to suffer for a little while, but when the end of the world comes, you're going to be wiped out. 
and you're going to be no more. Okay, so, so you're not going to suffer eternally. Uh, you're going to be wiped out. How do you witness to a Jehovah Witness? This is tough because we need to pray for Jehovah Witnesses that we know because they clearly don't know the Jesus we know and they're deceived. And it's even more tough because they have their own translation of the Bible. And they're taught not to think for themselves. They're taught not to be educated. And to get anywhere with them, you have to get them to understand that their translation of the Scripture is completely wrong. And you have to somehow get them to read the real version of the Bible that cuts through bone and marrow and judges the attitudes of life. So I would say pray for them and start with their translation of Scripture and try to get them to read a real Bible, if that makes sense. Let's look at the last chart, and then we'll pray out. These are the marks of cult that we've talked about today with Jehovah Witness. If you guys will put every single one of those up for me, please, just that whole list at the end. Uh, so far, what we've seen is a minimization, reinterpretation, and adding to the Bible. This should give you pause anytime you see this with a religion or a denomination or a preacher or a, a writer in a book. Greed. Remember, billion dollars a year we're making off our publishing arm. Uh, getting Jesus wrong. There's the big one. You get Jesus wrong. I'd encourage you to take pictures of these, by the way. Uh, and it's never grace-based. It's always works-based. The thing that separates Christianity from every other major religion in the world is we believe in true grace. Every other major religion puts stipulations on being saved. You've got to do this. 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 And then also levels of heaven. Anytime you hear uh, somebody talking about, you know, the really good people go to the better heaven, uh, the really good people have more righteousness and they're, they're pioneers, they're not just publishers, it should give you pause in your spirit and make you good. Because what do we always say here? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I'm no better than y'all because I'm a pastor. You can have the same relationship with God that I can have. You can have the same, it's the same Holy Spirit that lives inside you, and you can walk in the Spirit just like I am. There is not levels to this thing. God loves us all and can save us all. Amen, Rev Church. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for every single person that's here. God, you're leading our church to a place where uh, some of us are getting off the milk, and we're going to start leading, leading our families, being leaders outside of these four walls of a church building. And uh, we're going we're gonna to have a hunger for your word and a hunger to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. So, God, I, I pray for your people that as we go through a series that's definitely a whole lot more meat-based than it is milk-based, that we will embrace where it is you're taking us and that we will be stronger as a result of this. We love you, Lord. You are awesome. In Jesus' name, I pray. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.